Welcome to First Do No Harm with Massachusetts Citizens for Life board member and physician, Dr. Mark Rollo. This broadcast will focus on medical ethics from a Catholic perspective and address abortion, physician-assisted suicide, contraception, natural family planning, IVF, healthcare proxy, and other topics. Please be advised that this show may not be appropriate for children under 13. Hello and welcome back to First Do No Harm, a show about medical ethics from a Catholic perspective. I'm Dr. Mark Rollo. Last time I featured part two of my interview with Dr. James Agolia of the Harvard Medical School class of 2021. I had the privilege of interviewing him regarding an essay that he had written for his medical ethics class at Harvard. The subject matter for the essay is physician-assisted suicide, which threatens to corrupt medicine itself along with the society it purports to serve. The first part of the interview focused on autonomy as a basis for the legalization of physician-assisted suicide. Addressing the matter of human autonomy, St. John Paul II once stressed that human freedom of choice, our legitimate autonomy, must be guided, if we are to exercise it rightly, by truth. Human freedom and autonomy are not unlimited, nor creative of the moral order. Human freedom is exercised rightly and in a way conducive to human fulfillment or perfection only when guided by truth. When human autonomy is conceived as the creator and arbiter of good and evil, of right and wrong, we are no longer able to guide our choices by truth, but only by subjective and changing human opinions. And human autonomy so conceived gives birth to the culture of death. In short, human autonomy, freedom of choice, is limited. It is valued precisely because we can exercise it with a view to our flourishing or fulfillment as persons living in communion with others. Part two of the interview focused on the second most common reason people give for seeking assisted suicide. This reason is not to be a burden on others. This, in a way, is the mirror image of the desire for autonomy. The desire for what is actually radical autonomy necessarily implies the desire not to be dependent or a burden on anyone. The simple fact is, however, that none of us are completely autonomous. We all depend on others and are burdened by others in some way. To think otherwise is a denial of reality and a reflection of the sin of pride. As stated by Martin Luther King Jr. in his letter from a Birmingham jail, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, 
tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Said Dr. Agolia, as highlighted in the last show, patients who believe they are saving their family from suffering may also be preventing them from learning how to be with a suffering person. Why should a suffering person be viewed as a burden? Or, more precisely, why should the burden of caring for a suffering person be something that we should want to avoid? As related last time, Gilbert Mylander, prominent American Lutheran bioethicist and theologian, pointed out, if you love someone, that is, willing the good of the other person above your own, this necessarily entails that you will be burdened by them in a number of ways. For example, parents are burdened by having to feed their baby and change their baby's diapers having to take time out of work to go to their child's basketball game, and having to take care of their child when he or she is sick. Why should behavior at the end of life be different? The notion that one is being selfless by avoiding burdening one's loved ones with end-of-life care goes against the bonds of love and family. And it speaks to a larger cultural devaluation and marginalization of suffering at the end of life. Today I will play part three of my interview with Dr. Agolia. We will reflect on the Hippocratic Oath, and I will play a recording of the original oath translated from the Greek And I will also play a watered-down version of the Hippocratic Oath that was actually recited by the Harvard Medical School graduates of 2021. And it is an example of the type of oath that is often made currently at medical school graduations across the country, and which is really no oath at all. Let us first, as always, begin with prayer. First stated by the U.S. Catholic bishops, only with prayer, prayer that storms the heavens for justice and mercy, prayer that cleanses our hearts and souls, will the culture of death that surrounds us today be replaced by a culture of life. O God, your Son has instructed us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. Let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything else is from the evil one. We pray that the oaths we take be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Let us not obscure the truth with meaningless, vague platitudes that are from the evil one. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, part three of my interview with Dr. James Agolia. The Hippocratic Oath, because it is the the original Hippocratic Oath that said, I will not give a drug to a patient to kill them even if asked, 
nor will I suggest such a thing. That is in the Hippocratic Oath, or at least the original Hippocratic Oath. With that in mind, when you graduated from uh, Harvard Medical School just a a week or two ago, uh, was the Hippocratic Oath uh, mentioned at all? We did not take the Hippocratic Oath when we graduated, no. There was an oath that was written by my classmates that we did take, but many of the traditional aspects of the Hippocratic Oath were not. Right, and I find that it's pretty much been abandoned in, in most medical schools, but they end up reciting an oath of some sort. And like you said, I, I think a, a lot of places they kind of make an oath to each other, which is kind of absurd because the purpose of an oath is to is to swear to a, a higher power, not to your classmate. Um, mm-hmm. Do you um, recall any specifics of the of the oath or or how it struck you when you were reciting that i don't recall anything specifically i don't i don't recall much specifically from it which i think in and of itself is suggestive that it may not be the best way to go i think the nice thing about the hippocratic oath is it gets very specific yes um, about certain things that you should do and should not do right and it's simple concise straightforward and I think a lot of medical schools have abandoned the oath in favor of more uh, what they feel are more updated oaths or more maybe more palatable oaths. I'm, I'm not really sure. Yeah. As, as you can tell, I, I don't think it's a good move to move away from the Hippocratic yeah, Oath. Yeah, no. Think still be taking it. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it tends to be very bland, and there's a lot of vague platitudes and niceties. But, but again, the, the, the whole purpose of, of an oath is to kind of invoke some sort of a power higher than yourselves that you are are swearing to and the more specific it is the more more meaningful uh, right right no i i totally agree with you and yeah i would say it is nice to have that moment in graduation and i think the intentions are good and and a lot, uh, while a lot of the students work very hard on writing the oath it's just hard to live up to the traditional oath in terms of its um, yeah it's it's a classic. It's been around for a couple thousand years at least, and yeah, uh, I I think there's a reason for that. Yeah, I think uh, the it was recited in most medical schools. I think up until the 40s, 50s, 60s, in and around there, and I really think that it. I'd have to look back to see what happened um, uh, point by point historically, but I really think the whole uh, acceptance of abortion. Uh, because the Hippocratic Oath also states very explicitly, I will not give a woman um, an abortive remedy. And right. uh, once that went out the window, the physician-assisted suicide uh, kind of followed on. Right. The, right. Yeah, I'm also not very familiar with the specifics of when the Hippocratic Oath started being taken, but I'd have to look into that more. Yeah. Well, um, and as you mentioned, it, uh, it was uh, originally stated by Hippocrates, who lived, you know, 400 years uh, before Christ. And um, he, too, lived in a, a death culture like our own. And uh, he decided to break away from that because most doctors of his time did kill their patients if, if they thought they couldn't do anything for them. And they did try to uh, give abortive uh, remedies to... Um, to their pregnant patients if they wanted that. And Hippocrates saw that this was just, just violated uh, natural law. And so his followers adopted the Hippocratic Oath and it changed the course of uh, 
Western medicine. Uh, it also led, I think, to a lot of the breakthroughs we have in medicine, because if killing your patient was not an option, you really had to dig deep and do a lot of research to find out how to cure them. And right. So I think right. that had a lot to do with, uh, with the advancement of medicine. I also wanted to ask you what led to your contacting Mass Citizens for Life after you had written this essay. You didn't want to drop it, but tell me that, that, whole, uh, that whole thought process. You know, I had uh, been subscribed to the Mass Citizens for Life email list for a, a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they are, I mean, I think you guys are incredibly well organized and do amazing work. Um, mm. So it, it's really amazing to watch. Um, it's, I was astounded to see how just how well you're able to mobilize people uh, through emails and uh, through letting people know like what's going on in the Massachusetts legislature, for example. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, well, uh, that's great to hear. So I seen the email about your talk on physician-assisted suicide, mm-hmm. and although I wasn't familiar with you uh, in person, I figured that it might be nice to get in contact with you to speak more, and I did want to share my essay more widely. Um, after uh, I'd written it for class, I didn't just want to put it away and yep. never look at it again, because I was proud of the work I'd done on yep. it. Yeah, I wanted to d- disperse it a little bit more widely, and I'm sure there's. I definitely had some selfish motives with it too. I think to put things out there and yeah. and publish things, and right. that's probably not the greatest motivation. Yeah. Uh, I wish I didn't do that, but you know, God makes everything work out in His favor. So exactly. Well, I, <laughs> I'm grateful I, I, for that. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm very glad that you did reach out, and uh, uh, regardless of the motivation, because as you say, God has a way to turn what may not be the greatest motivation into something uh, good. But I, I think what was a reading, a mass reading of this week, you are the light of the world. And if you have a, a light, you don't want to put it under a bushel basket. And you didn't, and I'm, I'm very, um, very happy and pleased that you felt the need to uh, reach out and to uh, make your your thoughts on this issue known and not to not to hide, because a lot of people, like you said, they want to keep quiet about controversial things. Now, you're going to be going into a general residency, general surgery uh, residency soon, and I know you're not going to have a lot of free time, but have you looked far enough ahead to see how you might want to um, continue to be involved, as you have been in, in like, the, the uh, Frasati organization that you mentioned uh, have you thought about um, ways to um, uh, evangelize, if you will, while you're in your uh, residency? I think it'll be pretty tough. I think I'll uh, I'll be struggling just to keep up with the daily daily work and and the, the learning. But I think that the best way that all of us can evangelize is just through talking to our you know family, friends, coworkers. Yes. Yep. About this issue because you know. It is great to advocate for legislature at the state level, and and that does help a lot, certainly. But the best way is through changing minds and hearts one at a time, and that's yeah, often through your closest relationships. So I hope I'll get a chance to you know talk about these issues, and I think they come up all the time for physicians in any specialty. So yep. I, I hope I get to talk about them some more with people in residency. Yeah, well, I'm I'm sure you will, and I'm sure you. Um influenced uh, more people than you know just by not being afraid to uh, stand up for uh, 
for life um, when it comes to um, the whole assisted suicide issue. So uh, I'd like to hear uh, about your career as you move along, and I, I hope we can uh, uh, stay in touch. Um, did you? I wonder if you had any any final thoughts that you wanted to uh, to make about uh, assisted suicide or anything else. Yeah, just that I would say that we have to have a better conception and understanding of care for patients at the end of life. Mm-hmm. One that sees some value in suffering yes, and tries to relieve that suffering, yes. but also sees some value in it exactly. and accompanies patients through all stages at the end of life, always trying to preserve their health as much as we can mm-hmm. without making that be the, um, like being a slave to prolonging life or making people force the people to have medical treatments. We're not talking about that at all. Right. We're just talking about what is medicine for? Why do we go to a physician in the first place? Mm-hmm. What can physicians do and not do? And what would I want a physician to do for my own family member? And uh, I think sometimes uh, it's tough to make this type of argument, but it's one that needs to be made. People need to hear the truth about this and, I think we all have a duty to do that. Absolutely. And I like what you said about um, suffering. We we Catholics understand that uh, suffering uh, can be redemptive. And um, in a hedonistic world where people don't want to suffer at all, uh, we need to talk more about the uh, the value of uh, suffering. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you, Dr. Rilla. Thank you. So, Dr. Uh, James Paul Agolia. Have you gotten used to being called doctor yet? No, definitely not. That's <laughs> a new thing for me. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you'll get used to it pretty quick. I remember the first the first time I was called that as a doctor was when I w- was doing my first rotation in the ICU and a patient was admitted uh, with an MI and he started to have some, some PVCs. Of course, back then we didn't like to see this type of arrhythmia at all. And so the the... ICU nurse came up, came up to me and said, uh, uh, "So, doctor, what do you want to do about that?" And I thought to myself, "Are you talking to me?" <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, Doctor Agolia, thanks very much, and uh, best of luck to you uh, in your uh, residency program. Thank you so much, Doctor Rollo. Appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you. This concludes the third and final part of my interview with Doctor James Agolia. And now, please listen to a recitation of the original Hippocratic Oath composed almost 2,500 years ago as translated from the Greek. The Oath of Hippocrates. I swear by Apollo the Physician, Esculapius, and Health, and all heal, and all the gods and goddesses, that, according to my ability and judgment, I will keep this oath and this stipulation, to reckon him who taught me this art equally dear to me as my parents, to share my substance with him, and relieve his necessities if required, to look up his offspring in the same footing as my own brothers, and to teach them this art if they shall wish to learn it, without fee or stipulation, and that by precept, lecture, and every other mode of instruction, I will impart a knowledge of the art to my own sons, and those of my teachers, 
and to disciples bound by a stipulation and oath according to the law of medicine, but to none others. I will follow that system of regimen which, according to my ability and judgment, I consider for the benefit of my patients, and abstain from whatever is deleterious and mischievous. I will give no deadly medicine to anyone if asked, nor suggest any such counsel, and in like manner I will not give a woman a pessary to produce abortion. With purity and with holiness, I will pass my life and practice my art. I will not cut persons laboring under the stone, but will leave this to be done by men who are practitioners of this work. Into whatever houses I enter, I will go into them for the benefit of the sick, and will abstain from every voluntary act of mischief and corruption, and, further from the seduction of females or males, of free men and slaves. Whatever, in connection with my professional practice, or not in connection with it, I see or hear in the life of men which ought not to be spoken of abroad, I will not divulge as reckoning that all such should be kept secret. While I continue to keep this oath unviolated, may it be granted to me to enjoy life and the practice of the art respected by all men in all times. But should I trespass and violate this oath, may the reverse be my lot. And now, please listen to the actual recitation of the oath made at the 2021 Harvard Medical School graduation. Well written and well intended as it is, it is not an oath, an oath which makes one accountable to the truth of a higher power. Rather, it is a mere pledge made to one's peers. We will now have members of our class recite our class oath. We first recited this oath at our white coat ceremony four years ago at the start of our professional education. We now reaffirm this oath before launching into our careers in dentistry and medicine, committing to excellence for our patients and our profession. Today, we pledge to all those here today with recognition of the education and experience gained on the ancestral land the Massachusetts people. That according to my ability and judgment, will keep this oath. We pledge to our patients to do no harm, uphold your autonomy, protect your privacy, and be your partner in the journey towards healing. We will approach each person holistically and humbly, offering a listening ear and a hungry mind. We recognize our patients' lived experiences, strengths and resiliences, so that their wellness can be rooted in empowerment. We are prepared to confront and explore disease with both ardor and empathy so that our patients can move through illness with dignity. We pledge to our families to remember the sacrifice made and work done by so many before and beside us so that we can take this title doctor. We will continue to challenge ourselves, grow and excel for the service and care of others. We honor the lives lived and legacies left by those who were hurt by medicine and aspire to transform care so that it can meet the needs of our country's people. We'll uplift our communities, magnify their voices, and advocate for health equity and justice. We pledge to each other, our peers, our teachers, and mentors to remain curious, embrace our mistakes, 
and commit to a life of learning. We realize that medicine is an art that we must carry out with patience, reflection, attention, and collaboration. We commit to this practice alongside our interprofessional colleagues and friends so that we can ensure patient-centered progress. We will turn to scientific evidence, discovery, and innovation in our decisions and treatment plans. And we welcome the call to leadership where our decisions and policies have the opportunity to alleviate suffering. We pledge to ourselves to remain true and reflect on what inspired us to pursue medicine. We will remember the experiences, the stories, and the love that shaped this calling in our most difficult moments. And we will take care of ourselves and one another, striving to find joy and purpose every day. From this day forward, from this day forward, from this day forward, I freely and fearlessly take this oath and accept the responsibilities of a physician. May I uphold the honor of this profession and care for any person in need. To our illustrious graduates, congratulations. We look forward to your future and your exciting careers in the service of others. Good day. Which oath would you want your doctor to make? The oath which humbly makes one accountable to a higher power? Or the oath which makes a pledge to appear? The 2021 assisted suicide bill is now before the Massachusetts legislature. It is euphemistically called an act relative to end-of-life options. It is not about giving patients the right to die. It is about giving doctors the right to kill. Call your state representative and state senator today at 617-722-2000. Tell them we already have end-of-life options. They are called hospice and palliative care. They are called walking with your brother in compassionate care and welcoming the burden of his suffering and helping to alleviate his pain. Tell them you want your doctor to continue to be a healer and a comforter, not a killer. Until next time, remember, we should always treat life with care and respect. And at the very least, we should first do no harm. Thank you for tuning in to First Do No Harm. Dr. Rolo welcomes your questions and comments. You may contact him at markrolo978 at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-K-R-O-L-L-O 978 at gmail.com. Thank you, and until next week, remember, first, do no harm.